Religiosanity episode 68, back with Pastor Andrew. Well, it's Easter time. Uh, still Lent. Okay, so it's not... F- it's coming up, yeah, okay. but, but who knows, uh, people can listen to it anytime. Right. So for us, it is the end of Lent and yes. uh, Easter is coming, so... Is there anything people don't like to talk about uh, with Lent? Or is, or is there any topic that's a little bit too... Um, tricky. Tricky, yeah, during mm. Lent. I mean, during Lent or Easter, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, the resurrection, of course, everybody you, you wants to talk about. You can actually ask me, why haven't I ever preached on empty tomb? Okay. And I can tell you that this Easter I am going to preach <sighs> on empty tomb. But there is a reason why I haven't had preached about empty tomb. Why? Uh Partly because uh, everyone expects you to preach on it on Easter, and uh, it's almost a cliche. Okay, okay. And um, that's one reason. That'll be like aesthetical reason Mm. or curiosity reason, because you have so many other beautiful uh, resurrection passages and I think that we talked about it earlier, uh, resurrection passages which are sprinkled throughout the Bible uh, and definitely throughout the Gospels. Uh, you know, like Transfiguration, for instance, is a beautiful uh, mm-hmm. resurrection passage, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have number of appearances of the resurrected. That's another uh, beautiful theme or topic for Easter service. You have, uh, once I preached on calming of the sea, mm-hmm. which is an epiphany, self-revelation of uh, world cosmos ruling deity, which has certain traits or features of, of resurrection story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is one of the reasons, you, you know, and those are generally neglected and abandoned and no one really recognizes its uh, uh, resurrection or Easter uh, potential and powers. And I think it's pity. Yeah. And the other reason is that uh, when you look at uh, Easter events, the first Easter you end the period afterwards, uh, how the church processed what happened. Uh, empty tomb is probably the latest development. Mm. So you have uh, stories about uh, meeting with the resurrected. Uh, you have stories about being filled with a new understanding and energy and with a new spirit. Uh, You have stories of uh, disciples uh, recognizing of uh, authority and power of the crucified. Uh, And all these are ways of early church uh, talking about resurrection. You know, or about what happened uh, on Easter. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, Empty Tomb is probably the most recent. You know, of course, it is thousands of years uh, right. now, uh, but uh, just to give you an uh, understanding, uh, the oldest testimony we have uh, about what happened on Easter or after Jesus uh, was crucified is so-called pistis formula or formula of faith, mm. which is preserved in the opening verses of the chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Ah. That's the oldest written record yeah. we have and it is roughly datable to year 50 when that letter was written so everybody everybody was still alive that uh, knew Jesus might be might yeah. be might be uh, because we are something like uh, 15 to 20 years after crucifixion right you know after the events it is still within kind of on the edge of the that generation mm -hmm. uh, so uh, that is uh, and it is clearly older because apostle paul uh, is writing there uh, to to corinthians uh, i want to remind you of something which i myself have learned that mm -hmm. jesus uh, was crucified, died, was buried, and on the third day he rose uh, and appeared to. And then there is a list of, of those to whom uh, he appeared. Mm. Uh, and now I'm quoting really from the memory and almost uh, translating from my uh, native Czech into yeah. English. So, yeah. you, you know, this is not exact quotation, but it gives you the essence. Paul is writing to Corinthians, reminding them of something he himself learned. Third hand, so it's like second hand. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that is... Uh, around the year 50 so he had right. to learn it earlier than year 50 right. and it has been already established formula it right. was a f uh, like an, a confession right uh, that means that there had to be definitely number of years right uh, for for that to happen so here we are really within a few uh, maybe a decade after crucifixion mm -hmm. and easter events that what we are talking about. Of course, Paul then adds to it himself uh, some other stuff. And he expands that formula. But mm. that core formula uh, is, is really dated definitely before year 50. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, that, that's the oldest. And on the other hand, uh, Within the biblical tradition, uh, empty tomb would be almost like an youngest. So, like how many years later? Um, so, uh, this is, say, before 50. And empty tomb is uh, first recorded uh, in Gospel of Mark. And that is definitely after year 70. Oh. 
already it is moving us uh, at least a generation from okay. Easter events. Yes. Uh, and uh, Mark was written after the fall of Jerusalem. And that is also a perfect uh, environment in which uh, something like that can uh, emerge uh, as a visualization or uh, making it concrete, the resurrection story. Mm -hmm. uh, before that, there is no need for it. That's one thing, because they are still living uh, witnesses or they were still living witnesses. Right. Uh, and the other thing is that uh, there is enough of time to blur the memories where Jesus might be buried or and, and, and so on and so forth. So theory goes that simply after the fall of uh, Jerusalem and uh, in the process of resettling that area again, uh, the local Christians or simply... Uh, an empty tomb was discovered. Ah. And as it was discovered, uh, early Christians uh, claim it uh, as a um, physical tool for their preaching of resurrection. By that time, they were preaching already about resurrection. But here is empty tomb in Jerusalem. Right. Uh, tombs are... Uh, uh, prime real estate in Jerusalem until now. Yeah, uh, they are highly valued, and uh, having pristinely unused empty tomb there was kind of unusual. Yeah, and and here is an empty tomb discovered, and here is a group of uh, back then. Jewish Christians or Christians Jews, you know, uh, slowly diverging from Judaism, mm. uh, establishing themselves, but having this important message that's the core message of early church, you know, right. Jesus' resurrection until today, of right. course. But, uh, and, and so it mashed. Right, right. Uh, but then there was a uh, problem because uh, you, you know there is no mention of it earlier <laughs> right. so they came up and, and mark came up with that solution that uh, women discovered that <laughs> but they did not say anyone <laughs> you know they ran away and did not say anyone so okay. you think that, that that's so interesting that he specifically chose women because of the that their their testimony would be kind of maligned? I don't think so. No, no, no. Oh, okay. uh, uh, the the, the very, uh, early church was actually much less misogynic or was, uh, oh. it, it had leadership of women. And here Mary Magdalene is uh, mentioned uh, specifically. There, then there is a cloud of other women associated with her. And so I think that there was simply a faint memory that besides Peter and all the 12 disciples, you know, or, and so on, and male characters, which are in the pistis formula, uh, that uh, faith right, formula right. From, uh, from Corinthians, that there was this general remembering that women were also those who uh, met with the resurrected. And they were actually... There, there might be even this kind of uh, background knowledge that they were the first. Mm. 
And so that that is like now here we are trying to historically reconstruct the genesis of this story. Yeah. So there is a church preaching resurrection. Then there is a discovery of empty tomb uh, in Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, those are matched. Uh, and uh, how to incorporate it into the story is that there is this faint memory of mm -hmm. women uh, being those who met with the resurrected, uh, but really faint, you know, uh, and so they kind of merge that together. And in order to make it uh, a little bit more plausible, uh, Mark employs his uh, mystery formula or secret formula, you know, like uh, they did not tell anyone or, you know, yeah. th th there are many examples of that Jesus saying, don't they uh, say anyone yeah. and so on. So it, it matches his uh, general approach also, but uh, here it is kind of uh, employed uh, specifically for this purpose. And then you can see how it further develops uh, into uh, into this fully fledged empty tomb story through uh, the tradition mm -hmm. by uh, Matthew who takes it and uh, develops it further. Luke uh, does the same thing slightly differently and of course uh, the same thing even further is done by John, Gospel of John. So you, you can really see the, that development from, from that kernel of mm -hmm. the story, which we just uh, tried to reconstruct uh, in the Gospel of Mark, and then developed into much fuller story. And it is being further and further also distancing from the core message of resurrection, for instance. Right. Uh, and, and trying to bring more... Uh, rationale and theological uh, uh, thinking about it. So, mm -hmm. for instance, uh, uh, Matthew is trying to protect that story from accusation that, oh, they simply took the body. So he employs those guards who are guarding uh, the, the, the tomb. For instance, so that's that, not that's not in Mark. That's not in Mark. Hmm. You, you know, this this is his way of saying, uh, kind of protecting against this objection, right? You know, which is natural. Yeah. Uh, you know, empty tomb does not mean that there was a resurrection. You know, right. there it could be simply constructed for someone. Some, then it was forgotten yeah. around it. That would be the most natural. You know, then it was forgotten uh, around the, the time of. Uh, Jewish uprising against Romans. The uh, city was surrounded. Uh, they could not bring out their deaths uh, to be buried properly. Uh, and, and so that's, that's, that's the rational explanation. Uh, the other thing is that uh, this tomb probably was uh, somehow uh, associated with the name uh, of Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, maybe there was a memory that it was on uh, in that plot belonging to this person mm. or something like that. So that, that is how that name uh, made its way into that story already in the mark. Uh, 
but uh, and then it is also further developed, you, you know, because we uh, then then he is the one who needs to bury Jesus, even though there is uh, kind of a uh, doubt about it. It is mentioned in Pistis formula that he was buried, but it is possible that in uh, in in Pistis formula in Paul, it is simply to uh, state that he indeed died. Mm. <laughs> Uh, you know, because what is the better confirmation that someone died that simply saying yeah. that he was buried? Right, it, right. Uh, that's, that's uh, otherwise, uh, those who were crucified were highly unlikely buried. There are just very, very few uh, examples that uh, Roman authorities would allow uh, a person to be taken uh, from the cross and buried. Mm. Uh, that was the part of the punishment of, of crucifixion, that there would be no... Uh, uh, proper burial. No, no proper burial, yeah. no grave. Yeah. Uh, for, which was for people of that time uh, and other offense and, right. and the, the probably deepest and darkest condemnation. Mm. And, and we know that, you know, because there are uh, just few examples of, of someone being allowed to take a crucified and buried uh, as an softening of, of that punishment. But otherwise, there are no remnants of crucified. There is just one uh, we are aware of. Uh, the, the, that's that heel bone, which has still a nail mm. uh, stuck in it. Uh, and that it does not necessarily mean that that person was buried. But that's mm -hmm. uh, uh, just the only remain of, of a crucified from otherwise quite, uh, unfortunately, widespread practice of terrorizing people. Right. You would think uh, there people. would be more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing is that most likely people were not always nailed. Mm. That was the other. Uh, they, they were just tied on it. But mm -hmm. returning back to that empty tomb, uh, you know, we see how, how it uh, starts to grow. It requires certain adjustments of the story even before. Yes. And, and then uh, is uh, further developing and blossoming throughout the tradition. Mm -hmm. So later on, you see uh, Gospel of John taking that empty tomb, positioning it into the garden, making the garden like an uh, archetypical <laughs> uh, uh, garden of Eden. So here you have this... Uh, Typology developing here, and Jesus being mis uh, misidentified as a gardener. Mm, there, right. we had a, uh, a podcast has, about this. Go back and look. Yes, yeah, yeah, and that <laughs> is uh, that is uh, further development of of that theme, right? And uh, theologization, you know, uh, or right. bringing out uh, the potential which is in that story further and further right right isn't it fa isn't it amazing that as you say we have the earliest 
record, mm -hmm. like you said, was this Paul passage in Corinthians, where, where the resurrection of Jesus is mentioned. And yet, like you're saying, we ha then we have this, as you're detailing out, these um, filling in, I'm not using the, the words you used, but of the story, adding the guards, uh, mm -hmm. you know, all this stuff. And, you know, I, I often say I'm, I'm scared when you, when you talk and mm -hmm. <laughs> it scares some kind of uh, um, um, uh, dusty uh, uh, theology lessons out of me. But this actually gives me great hope because it's the opposite would be really troubling. Mm -hmm. If the resurrection of Jesus was kind of one of the last things that was built after they found this tomb mm -hmm. in Jerusalem, and then they start inventing this story, or they start building this myth mm -hmm. after that, that would be troubling to learn that line of, uh, of history of these stories. But the idea that, that the first thing we have is our foundation. Mm -hmm. And so historically, this is the first thing that we have. And of course, then they build in this thing. I think that's great. Uh, I, uh, just, just look, uh, I think that, uh, and, and I think that we talked about it a number of times before. Uh, there, there was this, uh, I, I call it an Easter event. Right. First Easter event, uh, which happened to uh, disciples of Jesus. Their leader was caught, brutally, uh, exemplary uh, murdered or executed, died uh, by occupying force. And then something happened. Something happened to them that completely upended or turned around their lives. Substantially more than all the walking along with Jesus and watching him healing and something like that. Because... What worked until then for Roman Empire or any abusive power, uh, simply catching the leader or catching the movement, executing them exemplar in an exemplary and brutal way, and that takes care of it. It'll eventually die. Because it's a proof of uh, them being losers. Mm -hmm. that movement being, you know, on right. a losing side. And something happened which completely changed the dynamic. And what normally worked of extinguishing the movement actually led into like adding oil into the fire. Mm -hmm. Suddenly it caught fire and, and it became a movement which... Uh, just in a few centuries, will uh, over, overrun the world as they knew it. Mm -hmm. uh, will change, I would say, 
unfortunately, as uh, it was gaining more and more popularity. But uh, in that moment, on that first Easter, or Passover, because it was Passover, we call it Easter, uh, something substantial snapped, changed, uh, and it's the event which we can see only through the testimony of those who experience that. And sometimes it is not just their direct testimony, most often it is actually and recorded or testimony of a testimony. But we don't see resurrection directly. We see it, my teacher from Prague, uses a very nice image that we see the resurrection as it mirrors on the eyes of the first mm-hmm. disciples. Mm-hmm. I like so, that. Yeah. So that, that is the way we see it. And uh, it was such an pivotal and unprecedented situation that they did not have the vocabulary for it, they did not have concepts for it, they did not know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. They were in utter chaos. They, they, they knew that things substantially changed in the world history. And they, they started the process of coming up with ways of talking about it. And um, so I said, uh, first were probably uh, stories about meeting with the resurrected, you know, meeting mm-hmm. with Jesus again, you know, mm-hmm. even not using the word resurrected, uh, just meeting Jesus. Yeah. You know, next were uh, this, this experience of being filled with the spirit, with, with the power, with, with completely new understanding. The next was recognition that it substantially changes the entire dynamic of the history. Uh, so that is that uh, Jesus being lifted into the position of authority, the one who was crucified, the one who was this way declared to be complete loser, is the ultimate judge of the whole history. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's another way of talking about it, and and uh, that then they recognize that. It, it is bringing, ushering a new era. They, they talked about it in an eschatological, apocalyptic way. Uh, resurrection was one of the ways of talking about it, because that has been already established among some Jews of that time as a way of God vindicated those who died unjustly. But they just lifted that up for their Messiah, mm-hmm. for the Savior, who was unjustly murdered, terrorized. And, and they said, but he was vindicated by God. So the, that, that is that whole uh, vocabulary of resurrection. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, has consequences for all those who were similarly abused in the past, and unfortunately even in the future. That was their maybe 
too hot-headedness that they thought, and, and now it is completely breaking in, and at, that that is the end of history for them. And it did not end that way. You know, that's the that conundrum of eschatology and apocalypticism of early church. Uh, but it'll be another, I think that we had an episode uh, partly talking about yes. it and maybe in the future we can talk about it uh, uh, further. Uh, and as they were processing it and coming to, 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 to terms of figuring out vocabulary and other things and how to talk about it, they also uh, came up with this, I would call it like... Uh, mythical visualization of what it means and that means empty tomb mm -hmm. because that kind of nicely fits in into this whole concept of uh, talking about you know that substantial uh, change uh, of uh, of their thinking and uh, of their living and and everything uh, it's on the other hand, uh, already drifting towards more personal hope. Here mm -hmm. we see an Hellenization uh, of, uh, of that originally rather revolutionary message about the, the crucified being resurrected. Uh, because empty tomb, that is the, the, the other problem I have with that uh, empty tomb story is that it is just uh, uh, privatized for uh, for, uh, for for individuals. Uh. You know that it means that I'm not going to die, or I'm not uh. going to die forever, or mm -hmm. uh, you, you know it's it's made private or individualized, mm -hmm. privatized slash individualized which has already in it story, there is this uh, part uh, which is shifting that uh, message of resurrection that way. While a resurrection originally was a vindication of those who were unjustly uh, murdered. Mm -hmm and very often collectively. So it's uh, resurrection is an instrument of divine justice. And, you know, that is unfortunate that that to a very large extent disappeared from the, from the church's preaching. It has been individualized slash privatized it's 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 a pity mm, <laughs> here. Mm. So that these are the reasons why I'm rather kind of cautious yeah. and hesitant <laughs> of, of 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 talking about uh, empty tomb. Uh, now you have the whole you know uh, theological, exegetical, historical uh, attempt to reconstruct the, yeah. the genesis of the story. What are the uh, its potential powers, what are its potential pitfalls. Yeah. I'm not saying all of them, yeah. you know, because uh, we are not writing a uh, 
Facebook, yeah. you know, we or thesis. Uh, we are just chatting about it. But, but why uh, did you, why did you choose to do it this time? W was it something like do you do you do you think people are ready to hear what you have to say, or or it's just something about the time timing? Uh, I I think that on on the heel of this pandemic, mm -hmm. and let us hope that we are on an uh, on the end of it. Uh, that's one dimension of it. Uh, the other dimension of it uh, that I'll be talking about some of the, the these things we we just discussed. Yeah, I I think that the con uh, our people, our congregation is prepared to hear and process that, and also to lift up those uh, positive aspects of this story. Yes. You know, powerful positive aspects of this yes. story. Uh, yes. That that something is not historical does not mean that it is not true. Yes. We talked about it a uh, number of times. So I, I don't want to be caught in this kind of uh, yes. false thinking because, you know, metaphors or images uh, are not historical. Yes. And they are still true. Yes. And so, you know, if we control for some potential pitfalls yes. of too much uh, individualizations, privatizations, as I call it, you know, uh, of, of this story and, and seeing it more uh, open towards the broader society, I think that that is, uh, that is the way of looking at it. Well, thank you for bringing it to us here. Thank you for giving me good questions and being a uh, thoughtful listener. Till next time.